Good afternoon, this is Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Hooting Yard on the Air, live from Denmark Street with me, Frank Key, for half an hour of prose. Um, before I continue, I, before I forget, um, I'd just like to mention that the, the online presence on the worldwide interweb of Hooting Yard has moved to a much simpler address, which is www.hootingyard.com. Dot org. So go there and um, have many, many hours of fun. Shut your mouth, wine-drinking pontiff. Those were the words on a placard at a protest um, at Pope Benedict's current visit to Turkey, where various um, Islamic... Um, Islamic people have uh, demonstrated against against Pope Benedict. Whatever else you may say about them, they, they know how to brandish a good placard. I mean, shut your mouth, wine-drinking pontiff, kind of puts to shame all that kind of vapid Bush and Blair, ooh, we hate you, that you get over here in the West. And, this, and there does seem to be something about the one-time Cardinal Ratzinger that clearly inspires the perpetually offended Islamists to their finest placards. My favourite, and the winner of Hooting Yard's um, favourite demonstration placard of the year, goes to one that um, the Pope inspired a little while ago after, his, um, after he said said bad things about Islam in, in some speech in Germany. And, and this, this placard says, Alas, Pope Benedict has lost his mental and moral balance. And um, if you go to the Hooting Yard website, you can see that a photograph of the placard being held aloft by many, well, I think they're women, but they're all covered in entirely black shrouds, so it's difficult to tell. Um, moving on, this is a piece called shriveled when i removed the shriveled human head from the burlap sack my first thought that was that there must have been foul play as detectives like to call it but i'm not a detective and foul play seemed incongruous in this sun-dappled meadow splattered with buttercups tansy and wild hollyhocks under a gorgeous blue sky just before stumbling upon the sack, I had been singing at the top of my voice, singing a happy song, one of my own devising, a paean of praise to bees extolling the virtues of these splendid, buzzy insects, and I was dressed like a bee, sort of, in a black and yellow hooped jumper and black leggings and a black cap upon my head. There was no cap or hat of any sort on the shriveled head I took from the sack, just a few strands of filthy matted hair. I sat on the grass and took a pair of snippy butcher's scissors out of my pocket and gave the shriveled head a much-needed haircut, and I made a little pile of the clippings on a patch of bare soil and set fire to it with a match, and it blazed, oh, so briefly, sparkling and crackling, and then all that was left was a trace of ash. I plopped the shriveled head back into the burlap sack, swung it over my shoulder, and headed off towards old farmer Frack's pig farm, singing lustily. 
No one knew how old old farmer Frack was, and no one could remember a time when he was not squelching about in the mud at all hours of the day and night, raising his pigs. As farms go, it was a tiny farm, but old farmer Frack was a giant of a man by the standards of that land, and his pigs grew to giants too under his care. It was a mystery how he made his living, for he never took his pigs to market to sell them. When they reached a size that made them too big for the tiny farm, he drove them up into the hills and let them loose. That is why dutiful parents warn their children against going a-wandering alone in the hills and tell terrifying tales of giant rampaging pigs which capture and carry off misbehaved infants in their big chomping jaws. I found old farmer Frack engulfed in a fug of culinary fumes in his kitchen. He was preparing his lunch, a concoction of jugged hair, devil's kidneys and blancmange, and he was cursing like a sailor, for he had inadvertently jugged the kidneys and deviled the hair. One of his pigs, not yet titanic in stature, was rooting around the skirting boards, looking perhaps for beetles or other creeping things. I patted the pig on its shanks, if pigs have shanks, and placed my sack on the table. This might interest you, old farmer Frack, I said, helping myself to a tumbler's worth of water from the spigot. Except for his maritime curses, learned when he was but a boy, old farmer Frack was a man of few words. He eyed the sack, and he eyed me, and he eyed his spigot. Then he put down his jug full of kidneys and opened the sack with unnecessary vigour, causing the shriveled human head to roll across the table and topple to the floor. To its credit, the pig ignored it. Old farmer Frack stared at the shriveled head and immediately made the sign of the cross. I had no idea he was a papist pig farmer. I just snipped the gory locks off this gory find, I said, and then I burned them. I stooped to lift the head back onto the table, but old farmer Frack clouted me with main force and I crumpled to the floor. Unconscious for a few seconds, I came to with the pig's snout in my face. The shriveled human head was perilously close to one of the pig's cloven feet, and I feared that it would be crushed should the pig become excitable and begin stamping. Thinking fast, I reached my hand up and patted the pig soothingly. Previously, when I had patted its shanks, or what I believed to be its shanks, if pigs have shanks, I had done so in a perfunctory manner, much as one might chuck a dog under the chin. Now I willed the placatory forces of Blotzman's Movement Number 7A into my hand that I might communicate absolute calm. At this point, old farmer Frack smashed me on the head with a spade. Typical of a farmer, I thought, to keep a spade in his kitchen. And then I passed out for hours. I was woken by the unbearable sound of a transistor radio blaring into my ears. Unbearable because on Radio Pipsqueak it was apparently U2 Day, 
and the noise assailing me was the voice of the preposterous Paul Nobbo Hewson, a Christian Irish millionaire given to taking court action to retrieve a pair of trousers and a hat. I lunged to deaden the sound in any way I could and saw old farmer Frack looming above me, his jowls smeared with vestiges of devilled hair, jugged kidneys and blancmange. You brought me the wrong head, he said lugubriously. That's the end of that piece. Um, just to let you know, of course, that the... Um, Mention of Paul Nobbo Hewson going to court to retrieve a pair of trousers and a hat is entirely true. The man who would uh, save the world by getting the rest of us to hand over our money um, is quite happy to spend thousands and thousands and thousands re retrieving a coat, uh, a coat, hat, and um, and trousers, which apparently have iconic status. So uh, if that's not Self-importance? I don't know what is. My own trousers, of course, have a great deal of uh, iconic status, and if you'd like to bid for them in an auction, just let me know. sometimes with the media like radio and television and so on there's a great mystique about how programs get made so I thought readers uh, readers readers listeners I thought readers might um, I'm going to start again I thought listeners might enjoy a behind-the-scenes look at how Hooting Yard on the air is made four or five hours before transmission time the recording studio is thoroughly disinfected by a crack squad of specialist cleaning workers dressed in what look like astronauts outfits they are armed with a panoply of highly intriguing tools instruments and tweezers many of which have no apparent purpose the Resonance FM HQ, for those of you who don't know, is located in a subterranean basement far, far below the London streets and is only accessible via an underground pneumatic capsule railway system last used in the 1880s but which has been preserved like a fly in amber by a group of enthusiasts, all of whom by a weird coincidence are named Tim as their fathers were before them. When disinfection is complete, other preparations are made. Antique Bakelite canisters are distributed to dozens of eager factotums. Or should that be factotar? Grease pans, handled by imperious and jewel-dappled kitchen staff, are lowered into magnificent neoclassical oven-like pods of questionable, though remarkable, significance. Any stray toads are ushered violently from workspaces. A xylophone, abandoned after an earlier programme, is yanked off its hinges and hurled zestfully into a yellow xylophone waste vat. Urgent telecommunication signals are read and re-read quickly, then plastered onto oblong cards which are nailed to murals in one of the many lobbies. Knots are tied in jumpers. Incredibly huge golden flaps have to be emblazoned with diamond patterns. The dank cellar of the building is then aired. 
Listeners are often surprised to learn that Frank Key does not actually appear on the show himself. His place is taken by an actor named Ludovico Boole. Boole's ability to mimic the vocal inflections of anyone he chooses is matchless, and he's had a long and successful career doing so. Other impersonations, apart from Frank Key, he has essayed, essayed, include Sir Isaiah Berlin, Tuesday Weld, both Richard and Karen Carpenter, and President Nixon's henchman H.R. Haldeman of Watergate fame. An hour before Hooting Yard on the Air is broadcast, Bull is collected from the roof of his seaside compound by a helicopter disguised as an air ambulance and flown to one of the termini of the pneumatic railway on the outskirts of London. For security purposes, a different terminus is chosen each week, the decision being made by the chopper pilot during the flight. Safely ensconced in the Resonance FM HQ, Bool is handed the week's script, together with the meal he insists on as part of his contract. Four bloaters, a bowl of boiling hot custard, breadcrumb flan and a jug of thoroughly diluted potato extract. Wiping his mouth on a monogrammed napkin, Bull then enters the studio and begins to read. So that was me, Ludovico Ball, or Frank Key, whichever one. Um, that's what happened about 15 minutes ago. We're halfway through the show. Once upon a time you dressed so fine, you threw the bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? Well, no, you didn't. You should have. Mr Compton at the tweezer factory told you to, but you ignored him. You did worse than ignore him. You tipped his hat off his head and trod on it until it was crushed. And what did you do then? You kicked the crushed hat into the gutter with a sneer on your lips. And oh, how that sneer disfigured your face. It was an ugly sneer and made of you an ugly person, something nobody had recognised until then. You who had won the hearts of a multitude through your good works in the field of bird welfare. You who had cradled crows in your arms, who had nursed an injured starling through three long days and nights, who had fed droplets of rainwater to a hummingbird, who so delicately brushed the feathers of an ostrich which had food poisoning. You, whose eyes lit up with glee when a flock of little bitterns soared across the blue, blue sky. You, the so-called cassowary man. For you to betray the faith so many had in you, to reveal your sinful heart by kicking Mr Compton's crushed hat into the gutter, and not just any gutter, but a foul, filthy, stinking gutter, greasy with slime. For you to do that shocked us all. Now you languish in a prison cell, accused of feckless acts and nincompoopery, and Mr Compton lies buried in a distant, windswept graveyard. Oh, cassowary man, cassowary man, we can never forgive you.
Far too many people simply don't understand how to make the best use of glue. And um, here at Hooting Yard, we've taken it upon ourselves to educate our listeners by providing some cardinal do's and don'ts. Listen, ponder and digest, and never again will you stand accused of glue-related tomfoolery. 1. Never use glue to stick your head to something it ought not be glued to. For example, you should avoid gluing your head to the nest of a being which will suck out your brains. 2. Do not confuse glue with gum. Some gum can be chewed. Indeed, such gum is often called chewing gum. You cannot chew glue and you will rue the day you do, should you be such a nincompoop so to do. 3. Make sure you read Dobson's various pamphlets on the subject of glue, all of which are highly informative. I particularly recommend The Adhesive Properties of 600 Different Types of Glue with Diagrams out of print, but sometimes salvageable from rubbish tips in the vicinity of glue-making factories. This pamphlet has been condemned by a number of commentators as being a farrago of lies and bile written by Dobson in order to exact revenge upon one of his enemies. But you should read it anyway, for even if the so-called facts with which it is packed are false and inaccurate, you will still learn much, enabling to hold your own in any argument concerning glue. 4. Some glues are designed for very specific purposes. For example, library paste is thick and glutinous, whereas mucilage is thin, clear and gelatinous. Don't get the two mixed up, or you may be beset by adherence issues, and none of us wants to face such a circumstance, bereft of glue knowledge, alone and puny, in a cold and pitiless universe. No! And that's quite enough about glue for today. So um, I'd like to move on, and there's been a kind of running theme this week of nincompoops, hats and things like that and trousers and those sorts of things have been turning up in the um, in the in the tales um i think they turn up here too this is a story called the potatoes of potato vag when did you last clap eyes on the potatoes of potato vag i was asked this question while standing on a bridge over a muddy river in a high wind I was wearing spats, as usual, minding my own business and humming the theme tune to the exciting TV quiz show Cormorant or Grebe. It was pouring with rain, but I didn't care, for atop my head I wore a sprightly wide-brimmed hat, all golden and decked with plastic chrysanthemums. Yes, dear listener, I was the spats and hat man you have heard so many stories about. Remember when you were tiny and Mama tucked you up in bed and opened the treasury of bedtime tales for pallid and sickly infants and how you begged her to ignore the vapid rubbish about giants and dragons and magic kingdoms and what have you and to go straight to the stories of the spats and hat man? Well, that's me. 
But of course, you would never have been told the tale of this particular day that found me standing on a windswept bridge in a downpour, being questioned about the potatoes of potato vag, because it was only yesterday, and, he- and there has not yet been time for my scribe to Boswell an account ready for the printing presses. In truth, I have a team of scribes who work in relays. One follows me about morning, noon and night, scribbling down my doings. One sits at a desk in the chalet, making a fair copy of yesterday's scribblings. One types up the fair copy in the chalet's computer pod. One supervises the printing of the typed copy. One carts the printed copies around to all the kiosks where they can be purchased. And one has a day of rest, often spent studying the swans downriver. I am a lucky spats and hat man to have so many Boswells at my beck and call, even if they can be a tiresome bunch. Let me briefly describe their shortcomings one by one. Hoobington is curdled and indiscreet. Tack is blind. Dale Winton has pins in his legs and a metal plate in his skull and his favourite tipple is the boiled blood of ducks. Poop is a nincompoop. Hudibras is a swivel-eyed Stalinist maniac whose cardigans always bear traces of yesterday's sausages. The sixth Boswell is actually named Boswell, or rather Boswell Boswell. This one topples over far too often for my liking. So yesterday it happened that I was accompanied by this Boswell Boswell person. There I was, standing on the bridge in the rain, humming and peering over across the fields to where the flocks and pansies and pinks, the hellebore and hollyhocks, the marigolds, verbascum and charlock and mimosa, spurge, gorse and erica, the lupins, the daffodils, the broom and japonica, the creeping jenny, the old man's beard and the cow parsley, the speedwell and flax and dock and hops and oxlip and crocuses and teasel and the geraniums and foxgloves and fleabane and jonquil and lobelia grow in such heavenly profusion. When the person from Potato Vag drew up beside me in his death trap jalopy and shouted, When did you last clap eyes on the potatoes of Potato Vag? I made my reply with all the wit and brio you have come to expect from the spats and hat man. But Boswell Boswell chose that very moment to topple over yet again, and as we were on a bridge he toppled into the muddy river, and he sank. And with him sank the words I spoke to the person from Potato Vag, words now lost forever, never to find their place in a new edition of the Treasury of Bedtime Tales for pallid and sickly infants, Infants now who will be deprived of a thin, weak smile of glee before falling to a snooze in their iron sick beds, a snooze from which, who knows, they may never ever awake.
Since you've been gone, all that's left is a band of gold, lamé-suited troubadours. They arrived shortly after you flounced off, with your gaudy reticule in one hand and a map of Tantarabim in the other. As Bob Dylan once sang, you left me standing in the doorway crying. But not for long. Soon the band arrived, quite unannounced, and made themselves at home. I fed them with what was left in the fridge, basil, glucose tablets and chopped up suet, and went up to the attic to consult Dobson's little-known tip-top encyclopaedia of tip-top pop bands, out of print. Downstairs I could hear the band tuning up for what turned out to be a jam session, as the young people say. And what did I learn from Dobson's book? I discovered that my uninvited but not unwelcome guests had begun life as a skiffle combo called the Urbane Blodgett Seven. Riding the 60s wave, they tried out various styles until in 1969 they emerged utterly transformed as the pioneers of glob music. By now they'd settled on the name of The Hinges and Nozzles after being told that their other choices, among them Foghat, the Carpenters, Petula Clark and Blodwin Pig had already been nabbed by other acts. The 1970s were kind to them and they had a string of hit albums including Baleful Porpoise, Jesuit Gugor Handler and Irk the Shibboleth. The release of Brain Salad Surgery was postponed indefinitely after a rival album was released by a so-called prog rock group whose name Dobson could not recall despite all the research materials listed in what Nesting Bird has dubbed his most exhaustive appendix. Curiously, that phrase, most exhaustive appendix, was used as the title of a The Hinges and Nozzles compilation CD, which was released only days before they showed up in my house. They're still here, by the way, and have told me in no uncertain terms, as the saying goes, that they will not leave until you come back to me, oh my darling, oh baby, 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 please won't you come on home. this week, um, Tex-Mex Jiffy Bag Sprites. Did you know that in the world of fairies there is a specific type of sprite which dwells within Jiffy Bags of Tex-Mex origin? These mischievous sprites are reluctant to leave the snug lining of their bags except to flip from one to another when they become oh so lonesome and feel compelled to procreate. If you creep ever so silently into a postal sorting office in El Paso at dead of night, you might be lucky enough to see a flickering sprite leaping between jiffy bags. If it sees you, it will be vexed and cast a spell on you, and for 26 days and nights you will be tormented by visions of potato-headed monsters spewing ectoplasm in every direction. But if the sprite does not see you, you will have good luck for a 12-month possibly involving the unexpected offer of an appearance in a radio advertisement for a thrilling new detergent or bleach product.
That, at any rate, is what I was told by the weird woman of Woohoo-Weedywood, and she has yet to be proved wrong in any of her pronouncements or incantations, except for the one about the badger in the hedge. And that's the end of Hooting Yard on the Air this week. I do hope you've enjoyed it. I shall be back next week with more dispatches from um, www.hootingyard.org. A very pleasing address, I think. Bye-bye.